I want to talk about the prophetic word in a way that might deepen our understanding and appreciation of the purposes that are behind God speaking to people through people. Because, yeah, we know it builds us up. We know it's really cool. We know, but there's something about when we get even more precise about God's purposes for speaking to us prophetically that when he does speak to us, it won't just be a cool thing. It won't be just something that comforts us and blesses us. We'll be able to go, wow, God is doing this. I believe there's a, an accuracy in our walk with God that when, when we walk more accurately with what God is doing instead of just feeling around, there's something about us that experiences more of what God has for us. There's an accuracy. So I want to lay a foundation and then talk about how the prophetic really was instrumental in David's life. Um, let me start off by, by this. I believe every human heart has got at least two very important questions just, just in there. We're born with these questions. The first one is, who am I really? Who am I really? And then the second question is, why am I? The first has to do with identity. The second has to do with purpose. Whether you're saved or not, whether you're following God or you're backslidden, so those two questions scream for answers. If you just look at your life, you'll find that your search for the answers to those two questions has guided a lot of your major decisions. And, you know, for those of us who know God, the first question can be parsed out like this. Like, really, how did God make me? You know, not just what's his plan for my life. Say, what are my strengths? What are my uh, weaknesses? What, what's my really pr real personality? You know, just who am I really? And there's a journey in finding out what God started. And there's also the, so why am I here? Am I here primarily so that I can enjoy God and go to heaven? Or are there things that God created me specifically to do and to accomplish? And these are like huge questions. They're not just small questions. They're foundational questions. Actually, we know, we may not know the answers to those questions, but we know the one who does. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that we are God's workmanship. That we, we've been created beforehand. Before we came out the chute, beforehand, God had a plan for us and he's designed us to not only become certain kinds of people, but to, to, to walk in certain good works, to fulfill certain purposes that he has designed for us. This is huge. This is huge. This is not a matter of, well, just connect with God, get saved, and God will make you happy. He'll embrace you as a son. It's great to know that you're a son. It's great to know that you're, daughter, uh, that you're a daughter. But there's so much more to sonship and daughtership. God made each one of us uniquely unique. This is such an important thing. Do you know that there are many competitors to God's answers? Let's just assume that God is the one, since he created us, and he knows the end from the beginning, um, and he's got a plan, that God has got the correct and complete answers to both those questions. What makes it difficult for us to experience God's answers? One is there are a lot of competitors. You know, we have our parents. You know, when I was, when I was growing up, my parents were going, ah, oh, you'll be a doctor. I mean, that's what New Jersey Jews do, you know. My son, the doctor. No, I'm not going to be a doctor. Be a pharmacist. I mean, there was always, no, be a lawyer. I mean, there was all these, 
right? And I went with it because a lot of that was my identity, right? That the expectations of others, which are not necessarily bad, the opinions of others of who I really am and what, I'm, what, what my purposes are, I had a lot of help. I had, I had parents, I had friends, I had enemies. They had their opinions. And add to that, we have the world system. We have the world's idea of who we are and who we're not. I mean, I think it's really one of the most interesting, fascinating things about the, the current state of the world system is that we can actually choose who we are. I mean, and you just go, wait a second, wait a second. If I really want to be a giraffe, I self-identify as a giraffe. Well, you know, maybe, but I'm not a giraffe. There are certain limits to what we can define ourselves. God is the one who knows, because he made us. He made us. We have the world system that you know, gives us ideas, answers to those questions, which compete and maybe even overshadow or hide or ridicule God's answers. And then you add to that our own opinions. We have our own ideas of what it is to be successful, right? If I was only like Rich Gow, you know, then I would be like this. Or, you know, that me and my wife, yeah, we love each other, but we should have a family like that. Then we, I mean, there's all, there's all these opinions that we have. And they're not necessarily wrong, but they often compete with God's answers. And to show you how important this is, I think I've used this example, but what the heck? I'm going to use it again. Imagine, and this is my story, imagine you just sort of wake up and you find out that you're a brand new lawnmower. You're a brand new lawnmower. And, but you don't know your lawnmower. Why? Because you haven't read the manual. You're a lawnmower that can read. You haven't read the you haven't read the lawnmower um, the manual and you haven't talked to the manufacturer. You just notice that mm, you're gassed up, you're oiled up, and you got a sharp blade, and you got yourself a strong engine. And you're a self-starter. You go. You don't know you're a lawnmower. You have no idea that you're a lawnmower. And you're looking around now. What do I do? And you see a pile of little rocks. And you go. I think I'll be a rock polisher. So you go over, and go over the rocks. Two things are going to happen. One is you're going to get dinged up. And so will anything within your sphere of influence. That's what happens when we take how we're made and use it for purposes for which we're not designed. You guys are going, oh, that makes sense of my, you know, like that. You know. yep. Man, you know, look, we don't have any little children, so I can say this. Look, we're... We're designed to have sex. <laughs> really. Within a particular context. When we do it within that, life's fine. When we do it outside, whether it's immediate or long term, we get dinged and so will be the people that we're involved with. It's, that's just how God sets it up. So here's what most people do. They, they use how they're made, their gifts, talents, how they're and use it for purposes for which they're not um, designed. And you know, they get dinged up, and they go, oh. they come back and they think about how they can be a better rock polisher. Right? And they go, try it again. And after a while, you go, man, this is not working. And all of a sudden, you, you decide to look at the, at the manual, which is a metaphor for the Bible. So you go, oh, <laughs> I'm a lawnmower? Wait a second. I self-identified as a rock polisher. This is what I actually want to be a rock polisher. No. I think it's a misprint. So I'm going to, I'm going to call the manufacturers because it's got that, you know, that 800 number. So you call up. It's never busy. It's never busy. You call up. You go, I read here. And the manufacturer says, yeah, you're a lawnmower. Dang. You know, this is what I had my heart set on being like this. And, but you say I'm this and that. I'll try it. And you're horrible at being a lawnmower. 
I mean, because you've never done it before, and you're still thinking, maybe I can, do, maybe I can cut lawns and polish rocks. You know, maybe I can do all that. But the more you start doing it, you start going, I may not be good at this, but I was made for this. You know, you start singing. Remember, you're, now you're a singing lawnmower. You know, this is the air I breathe, you know, right? And, and also you start going, hey, this, this is sort of fun, you know? Who needs that rock stuff? And, you know, every, every so often you're cutting grass and you hit a rock, and instead of going, oh, I get to polish, no, that's not a good idea. I'm not meant to polish rocks. And then you, get to, you start doing it, and you say, I think I want to get good at this. I think for every lawn that I cut, I'm going to cut all the grass, and I'll have nice, pretty, straight lines, right? What happens is when you find out who you are, and you grow in who you are, you want to get better at it, and there is a sense of satisfaction. And you're even willing to, to work hard, to go through challenges, because you know this is what you're made to do. But wait, there's more. When people drive by the lawn that you've cut, hopefully they will not go, gosh, I need to meet that lawnmower. What they will say is, the guy who owns that house, he sure takes care of his lawn. Did you know that when we actually just grow, little by little, into how God created us to be and his purposes, not only will be the, there'll be a sense of satisfaction, there'll still be challenges, but in addition, God will get the glory. God will get the glory. You know, I ask a lot of people, so, What's God put on your heart? And they go, well, you know, I just want to just follow God. Just follow God and glorify his name and advance his kingdom. Now, that's an accurate, sincere answer. But I'm going, mm, you don't know who you are. When, we, when some guys get it, they go, listen, I want, I want to do it God's way. I'm going to check out the manual, have a relationship with the manufacturer, and I'm going to figure out how to do this husband thing. I'm going to figure out how to do it, because I know this, my wife will like me, I'll get to kiss her a little more, and it'll be a, you know, a lot more fun, and as I get better at that, my kids will go, huh, God changed daddy, this is great, Jesus is real, and other people will go, what happened to y'all? <laughs> oh, God, you know, you know, our calling is not necessarily our Christian career. I've had guys say, please pray for me, I want to know what my calling is. And, you know, it's usually sincere, but I, I often detect that what they're asking for is not really what they should be asking for. And I'll just go, so are, are you married and you have kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, thus saith the Lord. By the way, if I ever speak in King James, know that I'm not serious. Because I don't speak in King James. Mm -mm, yea, barely, thus saith the Lord. Wait for the punchline, all right? So there's a guy, you know, he, he asked me this, and I go, well, Thus saith the Lord. God has created you to partner with him to become the best customized husband and father for your family. And I have had guys actually go, yeah, yeah, I know that, but I want to know what my calling is. In the Lord. Wait a second. Many of the things that we're actually doing are ordained by God for us to do it, but we don't see that it's part of God's plan. And if we would just see that it's God's plan, then we will grow in it as a way of real satisfaction and God will get the glory. It's just an amazing thing. Now I say all that to say this. There are many people who get really excited. Oh, God's got a plan for me. He's got a blueprint. I can become who God called me to be, and I can fulfill his purposes, and I'll be satisfied, and God will get the glory. Great. And then we try to figure out the plan, do it in our own strength, and then bring our work to God and have him check our work, which is really sincere, right? But that's not God's way of doing things. That's how orphans think. That's how orphans think. I don't know what's going to count as success. I don't really know where I am. I don't know how to get there, but I'm going to just do my best. 
That's, God doesn't want us to think like orphans. He doesn't want us to guess. What he wants to do is to father us. Father us from where we are, give us what we need so we can grow into the next season and the next season and next season. And he's got the answers, but he also has got the process. And if we'll let him do whatever fathers, good fathers do, we will grow into and we will experience parts of God's answers to those two questions along the way. That's just how it works. And one of the ways a good father fathers his kids is through his words. What he says and how he says it has incredible impact. And you know, a wise father, you know, none of us are perfect here, but a wise father, if God tells him that his four-year-old son is destined to be an Olympic sprinting champion, 100-meter dash, He's four years old, are you, and the kid starts running around, are you going to go, come on, son, is that all you got? Knees higher, faster, faster, faster. You know, you're supposed to be a sprinter. You'll, you'll kill that kid. You'll kill that kid. Absolutely drive that. You know, what you do is you teach that kid how to be nice to uh, his sister. You teach the kid how to be respectful of mom, because that will save his life, right? And then you teach him how to eat and have manners. Teach him how to read, all these sorts of stuff, because he's going to need that. And then every so, so often he sprints, you go, oh my gosh, are you the fastest kid on the block? You know, those, those words that just keep it going, right? That's what a good father does. That, as a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul gives us a great example of, of, of the father's heart. He said, when I was with you, I dealt with you the way a good father deals with his children, comforting, encouraging, and urging you, or challenging you, or exhorting you to live lives worthy of your calling. Isn't that interesting? I love hearing people speak to me words of comfort. I love it when God speaks, uh, when, when people speak words of encouragement. I can't stand it when people exhort me. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when people challenge me, that little whiner goes off. You know, oh, don't you love me? Yeah, I just don't receive that. I just feel condemned. No, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you become a better lawnmower. This is where prophecy comes in. I believe prophecy is not the most important thing, but it is an important thing, and it's one of the ways that God fathers his family and his children. That he speaks words of direction, identity, purpose, even correction. He speaks these words not to make people just good people. Speak these words so people can grow into God's answers to those two questions. Within that context, knowing that God, when he speaks, especially prophetically, if we have the perspective that God is speaking to people so that they can grow into who they're designed to become, throw off old things and embrace new, and to experience God's purposes. To actually fulfill why they're here on planet Earth. And I don't think that process ever ends. Oh no, it does end. When you get to the place where you are fully who you are and you've accomplished everything and you go, oh, this is great. Yeah, really rejoice because you're in heaven. You're in heaven. You're, you're dead and you've been raised, you're in heaven, all right? But until then, there's always going to be something, always going to be something that we'll discover, new things that we can do. Our purposes never run out while we're here on planet Earth. When we're done, we're done, and we're gone. Anyway, I want to illustrate how the prophetic can help father us by seeing how the prophetic was instrumental in David's growth as a man and as a leader. Uh, these are, this is brought to you by the letter C. I'm going to talk to you about the call of David, the commission of David, the correction of David, and the courage of David. I'm not really, I don't think of these things, you know, but it just came this way. 
All right, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's this, you know, Saul was the, uh, was the king, and he was a pretty good king, but he compromised here and there, and God said, enough is enough, I'm going to go find your replacement. So what he does is he sends Samuel, a prophet, go look for the next king. When you, when you come across him, I'll tell you. So he's going around and he's looking at people. Oh, they look like leadership people. Oh, they look like leadership. But God's going, no, that's not the one. Then he went to Jesse. Now Jesse, Jesse was a man. He had a, uh, a whole bunch of sons. And so he goes over to Jesse's house and he's looking at all his sons. He goes, ooh, that he, real leadership type. I can, ooh, this one could be good. Maybe he's a, and God kept on going, no, 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 you're looking at the appearances. You know, I look at the heart. And then Samuel goes, you got another one? Is there, I mean, is this all you have? And then what, he go, what Jesse does is, yeah, we got another one. But he's out taking care of, of, of the sheep, which is basically like saying, yeah, we got one, but he doesn't really count. <laughs> right? He, he's the lowest of the low. You know, when, when it's time to pass out inheritances, everybody will get money and maybe land. David will probably get like a, a gift card to Burger King. You know, there's just not, he's not going to get much. He, he's going to be the least likely to succeed, and he's the youngest one, and he's the runt of the litter. Well, go get him. And he comes in, and scripture tells us uh, that, that he said to, to uh, Samuel, arise and anoint that one. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So why did God choose him to be the next king? Why did he do that? David was the runt of the litter. He was the youngest, the least likely to succeed. But there were some qualities in David. I'm not saying these qualities earned God's choice. But there were some qualities of David. Fundamentally, he was a servant. I mean, he was forced to be a servant, but he's taking care of not his sheep, but daddy's sheep. That means he was not just a servant, he was entrusted to take care of something that was not his. David was also a young man after God's heart. You know where a lot of the Psalms came from? Those times when David was alone with the stinky sheep, and all David did was just sing songs to God with no one looking. No one going, hey, I think you got a, a future as a worship leader. There was something about him that he worshipped God. He connected with God when no one was looking. And he was actually a fighter. I'm not necessarily talking about a militant thing, but there was a fighting spirit. He fought the right way for the right things. When the lion and the bear tried to destroy his daddy's flock, he could have, like some people go, oh man, daddy's given me this junk job. You know, oh man, I could, get, I, my dad is just such a jerk. He's doing all this. I'll, I'll let the lion and the bear just kill a couple of the lambs. And besides, I'm not, I'm not going to lose my life. I'm not going to risk my life defending these stinky sheep against a lion and bear. He could have done that but he didn't. He fought the lion and the bear to save his dad's flock. He experienced warfare. Not just for himself, but on behalf of someone else. Here's some things we can learn. What we do when no one's looking counts in the eyes of God. And the second thing is, our calling is never our idea. Never. It never initiates with us. Ever. We always have ideas what we want to be when we grow up, but it never does. Because God, remember, he's the one who created us to become certain kinds of people. He created us to fulfill certain purposes. The call of God, when it's really of God, it's always initiated by God. There was no reason, no real reason, where David should have been anointed to be the next king except that God chose him. I made you to become a king. Was he a king when he got anointed? No, but the process started. So many times 
We may not really know what we're called to do, but God starts the process. We may think we've started it, but God's always the one who initiates this stuff. He's always the one. He's the one who starts, you know, if you're really gifted and called and you have find a lot of satisfaction in what you do because you get accolades and, you know, personal fulfillment, and you start going, this is wearing thin. Is this all there is? That's the beginning of you understanding how God wants to use your talents, gifts. That instead of doing it, you know, for the good of others and all that, when you start realizing, you know, this can't be it. Maybe how God made me is a way of displaying who God is, and I'll get my satisfaction out of that. It's just an amazing thing how that happens. Our calling, our identity, our purposes in God are always initiated by God, always. Another thing is many times the calling of God, whatever that looks like, is something that we feel poorly qualified for. Think about it. Some guy comes up to you while you're a little kid, takes oral, pours it over you and says, yeah, you're going to be a king. I don't know, as a little kid, I'm going, "Mm, who is this guy, daddy? This is a crazy man. And king, are you kidding? I'm the least likely to sing. Have you ever had the sense that God's leading you? And you go, yeah, but. Yeah, but no, not me. You know, thanks God for thinking of me, throwing me a bone, but no, not me. There's a whole bunch of no, not me's throughout the Bible. Moses was called to be a spokesman, and the, one of the first things Moses said is, um, I stutter. And you remember God's response. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet. But I'm just a kid. Oh, that's right. Let me get back to you in 15 years. Jonah, his is, well, I just don't feel comfortable being nice to people that I hate. <laughs> really? I mean, he, the first millennial. Right there. Thank you, God. I thank you for the assignment, but I just don't feel comfortable. I really don't like them, right? (laughs) David could have said, well, I'm just a young runt. That's crazy. Don't you know that God's calling, not only does he initiate it, but after a while, when we have a sense of what God's call is, where he's leading us, it will expose our weaknesses. It will expose our excuses. And it will expose our plans. Now, you know, there's a process here, but there's so many things that, we're, you know, we know we're called to do, and we go, oh, I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too broken. I'm too screwed up. Welcome to the kingdom of God. You know, the places that we are most weak, that's where God does his best stuff. How could I... How me and my wife do ministry, you know, to, to young couples in the future when we, we've really plotted how to kill one another, you know? <laughs> I don't see the connection, you know what I'm saying? So, the call of God on your life. Don't think that it's always going, yes, I've always thought that, you know? Or you know, many times, look, if you really understand who you are, Right? And you start realizing, well, I'm called to be a husband. You'll go, God, no matter how good I get at this, I am so unqualified to be who you've called me to be, which is great. Because in the places where you know you're not qualified, those are the places that you dive really heavy into God. And you depend on him to bring to your wife what you can't bring in your own strength. This is, this is true for ministry. It's true for anything. So we... The, the, the word of the Lord is you're going to be a king. And what was interesting is there's nothing recorded where David goes, mm, I don't think so. I'm sure he may have had to think about it, but I think deep down he says, okay, but if you called me, if you're going to start this good work, mm, this process is actually going to have to be led by you. And David actually lived that way. So the call of God might be foreign to you only for a while. Say yes to it when no one's looking, and see what God will grow in you. Then there's the commission of, of, of David. And uh, have you ever noticed that when God you know, calls you to do something, you just oftentimes just run into either failure or the absolute op- opposite of what God's called you to do? 
So here's David. He's recruited to serve King Saul. He knows that he is good. he's called by God to replace King Saul. He doesn't grasp, but what he does is he, he, he serves King Saul. And he's a great warrior. He wins many victories, not for himself, but for his king. He was just, he was a great servant. He served someone else's vision. This is, this is sort of hard in North America. I mean, it's really hard in America, you know. Don't worry, I won't wear my red hat. Oh, I lost half of you. Sorry. So David, he's serving someone else, and he's serving a vision that's not his own. And he's good at it. And people are going, oh, look at that guy. You know, Saul, he killed you know, a few people, but David, he killed more people. I mean, he, he was getting a lot of attention. And Saul was a poor spiritual father. A good spiritual father would go, man, this is awesome. How can I help David go farther than I ever could? But he goes, ooh, this guy's competing with my notoriety and my position. I'm going to start throwing spears at him. I mean, that's what he would do. He'd get all mad. He'd go, hey, David, come here. I want to give you some battle plans. Whack! Right? And David, for a while, he learned how to, you know, duck. And then he goes, man, how can I calm this guy? Give me a guitar. And he started playing guitar, and he found out there's an anointing in true worship. Right? Yep. The, the spears would stop when he started really playing from the heart. I mean, when you start playing desperately, it's amazing the anointing that comes out. Well, anyway, so David is in this crazy situation. He's doing his best to serve Saul and a vision that's not his own, and he gets paid back with spears. And after a while, I said, this is getting too much. I got to get out of here. Now, remember, this is a guy called by God, anointed by a prophet. You're going to be the next king. And so he's serving someone else, and things get really bad. He has to run. Saul's after him, and Saul's saying really bad things about him. Have you ever served in a church or you know, a situation you did your very best, you weren't perfect, and then you actually had to leave because it was getting dangerous, and like you're getting depressed, and you know, people saying bad things are not true, right? Welcome to the kingdom. Anyway, so David runs, he's betrayed, he's rejected, he's hurt, and he is afraid. So what does he do? He runs into a cave, the cave of Agilom. Uh, this is in 1 Samuel 22. And he runs into this cave like, I'll be safe. Then he pulls out his iPhone and, you know, that little flashlight app. He goes like this to see what's going on. And there's 400 people in there. There's 800 eyes looking at him. And, and, and you know, they're actually worse than him. They're depressed. They're in debt. I mean, pick any negative D word. That was these 400 people. And they're going, I mean, they were so bad. They're going, oh, man, we're broken people. Look, our leader, Right. Yeah, he's better than us. He's like the tallest pygmy. <laughs> you know, nothing to write home about, but he's better than us. So what he, so Dave is going, this is not good strategically. We're in a cave. Caves usually don't have back doors. So he goes, I'm out of here. And so he leaves. The rest of the crowd, you know, we'll follow you, you know. And they go do this, and, and they go into a stronghold, a castle, something that has thick, high walls. And finally, they're safe. Even, Saul can't even get in there. He can't climb up and all that. He is safe. Now, God will do that. Sometimes, you know, he'll bring you to a place where you're just safe. But you know, sometimes there's a time when God wants you to just relax, get healed up, catch your breath and all. But if you, if you, if you take refuge for too long in a stronghold, you will be safe but you won't be satisfied. Because here's David. He knows he's called to be king. There's no way he can be a king by staying behind those walls. Could you imagine? You just go whoop, 20 years in the, uh, in the future, and all these 400 guys, and you know, just going, hey, David, you know, tell us again the story how you were called. Well, I was just called. 
man, you know, the anointing and everything's good, and I served, and then the spears came, and then I had to run. And, you know, everybody's going, ooh, ah, oh, bummer. All the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and if onlys. That would have been sad, don't you think? Now, strongholds can come in many forms. They can be high walls that protect you physically, but strongholds can actually be ways of thinking, ways of protecting ourselves. They, yeah, strongholds actually stand against the knowledge of God and his ways. They, they give us the appearance of safety, but actually they keep us from experiencing God's answers to those two questions. So here he is, and you know, David is going, man, I'm safe, this is pretty cool. And then God sends another prophet, Gad. I think that's where we got Gads. Right? Maybe Gad had children. Look, the Gads. Ye Gads, they're ugly. Anyway, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 5, but the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. Now, Judah was the place where he would eventually become king. Many times God will speak a word that will expose strongholds in our life. Whether it's fear or anger or, gosh, I'm so used to sexual sin. You know, that's my security. Yeah. And God won't humiliate you, but he'll speak words which will shine light on areas. You know, or, gosh, you know, I'd really like to, to, to really know how to treat women, but I can't because I saw how my father did, and he's the one who, you know, exposed me to pornography and all this sort of stuff. So I'm stuck. It's just amazing how many strongholds we actually have. And many times it just takes a prophetic word to turn the light and go, listen. Don't live there. Come out of the stronghold, get healed up, get counseling, get help, find someone to mentor you, do something. Because you will not experience God's answers to those two questions behind the walls of that stronghold. God will bless you. He will love you. You might even have a fruitful life, but you won't experience fully God's answers to those two questions. So he says to David, David, come out of the stronghold and move on. This is crazy. Saul is still out there. Lesson one. Many times the thing, the, the way we overcome the things that chase us into the stronghold, we overcome them by facing them and then going forward. We don't let those things define where we're going. We don't have to fight the past. What we do is recognize the past, do whatever we need, forgive and all that, but our healing comes with going forward. Go on to Judah. Go on to that place you have not yet experienced. Go on to that place where you experience more of the answers that I have for you. So Gad commissioned him, gave him permission, move on. Move on. There are times to rest. There are times that God says, look, it's okay. I'll, I'll get that stronghold later. But then sometimes a prophetic word will go, now's the time. Now's the time to get healed up. Now's the time to stop bending the knee to that idol. Now's the time that you get rid of your idea of what religion should look like and go forward in the things of God. Now's the time. And a prophetic word can do that. What was really interesting is God spoke to the leader David went out. Who followed him out? All those losers. Did you know that many of those losers, because they followed David out, they became David's mighty men. Like no pressure. No pressure. When you encounter things that get in the way of you going forward, you go, well, good enough's good enough. Don't you know that when you go, I am not going to tolerate living behind this stronghold. I'm not going to be identified by all this. I'm not going to do it anymore. If you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for the people that you say you care about. Do it for the people who are watching. Do it for the sake of the name of the Lord. Because look, God will love you 
right where you're at. And if you don't want to go further, yeah, it might be painful. But then you go, you go to heaven, and no, you won't have the big screen TV. You'll probably have like an 18-inch color TV, right? You won't have a jacuzzi. You'll probably have a little bird bath. There are rewards. But you get to heaven. Mm, that's not bad. But that's not the point. When David decided, I'm not going to stand behind these walls of safety, I'm going to go forward, that created a draft and other people followed him. So you, know, you may be wounded, you may be broken, you may have a whole bunch of questions, and God knows the time, but there will be a time to say, how long are you going to let that be an excuse? How long are you going to let that define you? How long? Why don't you come out from that stronghold and get the train out of the station and move forward? Why not? Do it for yourself. Do it for the people you say you care about. Do it for the people who are watching. Do it for the name of the Lord that you carry with you wherever you go. So a prophetic word started the call. The prophetic word helped commission him. Actually say, look, you hit some obstacles. Here's a word that will give you encouragement and even a way to move forward to overcome the things that are getting in your way. And then there's the correction of David. Hopefully you know the story. This is in 2 Samuel. David, he was a king. He's walking in his calling. And he'd been moderately successful. And during the springtime, that's when kings went to war. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I wait for the NBA season to start, you know? And you know, I get all excited and all. And there's a whole bunch of seasons, but back in the day, Man, it's April. It's time to get ready for war. I mean, that's how they thought. So here's David, and he's meant to be a warrior king. He's meant and called by God to take territory, not just say good enough is good enough. He, he, he knew his calling, but he goes, yeah, I'm going to stay pat. I'm going to stay home. Yeah, I want to expand, but, you know, my vision is sort of limited. I'm good with what I have. I'm just going to hang. Well, it wasn't because he had a lust problem. Because the truth is, all human beings are going to struggle with lust one way or other. The issue was, many times, you know how we overcome lust? Have something else that's from God that we invest in that. We don't have time to play with that. Really. It, overcoming a lot of that stuff is not just a matter of saying, no, 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 I shall not. Find out what God wants you to do, what kind of passion he's giving you, and do that, and you go, hmm, if I do that, I lose this. Anyway, he got lazy, and he, he spied this fine-looking woman that was not his, not his wife. He said, go get that woman for me. And he lay with her, he had sex with her, got her pregnant. And then he's going, oh, no, what do I do? He's stuck, you know, because, look, sin often, often has consequences. Pregnant, what am I going to do? I'm the king. You know, what will people say? So what he does is he becomes really buddy-buddy with, with this warrior who happens to be this lady's husband. And he goes, hey, let's drink. Let's have a good time. And you can even hang out with some of the ladies I have for you. And the guy, no, I can't do that. He's a man of honor and all that. And because he's hoping, you know, he, he even said, look, Go home to your wife. You know, just lay with her. You're, you're a great commander. You've earned it. And he goes, no, I can't do that. My men. Anyway, so it's an attempt at cover-up. Not going to work. So you know what he does? He tells his other general, he says, look, take this man, put him up in the front of the, front of the battle, and at the right time, get a whole bunch of people to pull back, and then he'll be, become a pincushion for the enemy. <laughs> and just get him killed. He'll just die in battle. So he does it. So here's a guy, he loves God, and he's doing God-types things, but he's, he's playing it fast and loose. He's in sin, he's covered up, he's using people, he's manipulating, he's trying to do all this sort of stuff. God sends another prophet, Nathan. And Nathan tells this fanciful story, of, you know, and, and David is going, oh, that's just horrible, you know. Whoever does that, he should be severely punished. And then Nathan goes, you're the man. Now what's really interesting, 
David could have said, you know, I kill people. I'm really good at, and I'm the king. I can make you disappear. How dare you? He could have done that. Or he could have said, you know, yeah, you're right. I did do that. But, you know, gosh, you know, I'm a red-blooded, hot-blooded king. And I've always had a problem with women, you know. And only just, just once. And, you know, if, if, if I let the scandal go out, it would have you know, come up all the excuses, all the defense mechanisms. But you know what David did? He went, he owned it. I have sinned. And then he wrote Psalm 51. It says, oh Lord, it's not just what I've done, but who I am. I was sinful from birth. And God, you know, this, this place that I'm at, let me cut a deal with you, God. If you'll restore to me the joy of my salvation, don't take the sense of, of, uh, of the presence of God away. If you'll just do that, I'll teach transgressors your ways. I'll teach other people not to do the stupid thing I did. And for those who do, do the stupid things, I'll show them how God restores. He just cut that deal. He didn't say, look, would you just forgive me so I can continue being king? He didn't do that. He was more concerned about his relationship with the Lord than he was about his reputation. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. Contrast that with Saul. Saul, who just compromised a little bit compared to what David did, right? You know, he, he killed a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of people, and then he just kept some of the best ones for himself and his men. And God said, I want it all laid waste. So he compromised. It's just a little compromise. It wasn't a big compromise. No harm, no foul. God said, mm, you just lost the kingdom. That seems sort of harsh. You know what, what Saul did? He went, all right, I've sinned. He said the same things that David said. I've sinned. But then he goes, just come with me back to the people. Basically say, hey, we're good. He was more concerned with his reputation and his position than he was with his relationship with the Lord. Sometimes prophetic words, I mean, you know, the way we do New Testament prophecy, you're not going to get called out on sin publicly. But, you know, the Holy Spirit can take what's said and just sort of translate it where you go, mm, I just got nailed, right? What are you going to do? Do what David did. Own it. Absolutely own it. God, God is fathering you so you can own this thing so then you can disown it. You can't disown something unless you first own it. You ever notice that? So David, he owned his sin. He didn't justify it. He went, mm. And he asked for forgiveness. He had consequences, but his relationship was restored and actually he had a fairly fruitful kingship afterwards. David responded rightly to correction. Sometimes prophecy is used by God to gently sort of go, you know, don't do this. Do it this way. And if it's done right in public, nobody will know that you're getting spanked. Nobody will know. It says, oh, God's just fathering. But responding rightly to correction that comes from the Holy Spirit, the reason God does that the reason God convicts us, or says your way is not nearly as good as my way, you know why he does that? Because he has the answers to those two questions. And he knows that our way will, will, will actually get in the way of our experiencing the fullness of his answers to those two questions. And he's going, David, you're called to be king. Just repent. But, and, you know, it, if you repent and you're restored as king, then you'll continue to be a blessing for all of Israel. God corrects us not to make us feel small. God corrects us not, not to humiliate us and just going, on, well, look, I'm God, you're not. I'm holy and you're not. Remember, he's always fathering us. He's giving us what we need so we can just grow into his answers to those two questions. It's just an amazing thing. When you start realizing that correction is coming from a father 
who knows stuff, who made you, who's on your side, that he knows the end from the beginning, and if we'll respond rightly to correction, our future is way better than the best we can come up with. Now there's the courage of David. This is an amazing thing. Just read 2 Samuel 6. Up to this point, you know, David had... um, yeah, he, he loved God, he loved worship, he did all this stuff, and, and they had this tabernacle, right? And in the tabernacle, or in this tent, there was the manifest presence of God, the ark. And at that time, everybody would come to that. It was like an attractional kind of church, you know? Just everybody come, come to church, come, you know? And that was the thing. And then God put it in David's heart, hmm, why don't we bring the ark to the city? It's a really interesting picture of a, of a church transitioning from a good church that brings people in to a New Testament church that is really into the Great Commission. So David goes, that's a good idea. He talks with his leaders. He goes, let's bring the ark in. So they come up with this great program, you know, the, this ox, oxen cart, and, and they bring it in and... and a couple guys got killed because that wasn't the way God wanted to bring it in. He wanted to bring the presence of God in on, by people, not by programs. God, God wanted to equip the people to bring the presence of God into the city, not a program. So David finally figures it out, and he, they bring in the ark, and David is going crazy. He is so happy. He's doing something that has never been done before. The ark is being brought to the people instead of getting the people to come to the ark. And this is great. This is exciting. He loves all of Israel. He knows that when the presence of God comes to the people, that's where life happens. That's, that's, That's the real fulfillment of his calling. Not getting people to come in but to equip people to go out. He is absolutely, and he's dancing like some Jewish fool. Just do, I can't even do it because I'll hurt myself. Anyway, so he's doing this, and he's dancing and having a great time. Everybody's rejoicing and all, but, but his wife, Michal, she decided just not to participate. She just sort of hung out in the balcony and, and watched it, right? And so yeah, David comes back and goes, honey, did you see it? The presence of God. You know, it wasn't a great worship. People all over the place, people dancing. Wasn't it, you know, wonderful? And she, and she just goes church lady on him. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> Some kind of king you are. What will people think? You know, you're just a little too enthusiastic, you know. I mean, the way you just just let yourself loose. And what, what did all those, all those slave girls think? All that, I mean, she, she's the observer, right? And she's just going church lady. I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that means you're more holy than I am. But she, she's just one dried up prune going, oh, yeah. And she was a religious dried up prune that she thought the kingdom of God was a spectator sport. That's what she, uh, and she started judging it. Well, this, look at this. You know, yeah. aren't, you, aren't you taking this love of God just a little bit too far? And David, he responded to her. First, a little bit in the flesh, a little Jewish flesh, never hurt anybody. <laughs> Here's what he does. He, go, he, he goes, hey, sweetheart, baby, poopsie. Hey, it's not my fault that God chose me to do this instead of your daddy. Mm. That was great, man. I'm going, yeah, drop the mic on that one. You won that one. But then he goes further, but not to hurt her, but he exposed his heart. He goes, and listen, I wasn't dancing for people. I was, this is all, I was unto the Lord, right? And I mean, who knows what will happen tomorrow? <laughs> you know, may, maybe I'll dance naked. I mean, he says, look, the issue is not how are people going to perceive me? 
The issue is, I'm excited about God, and I'm just following God. All right? The courage of David has to do with he overcame the fear of man. Scripture is really clear. The fear of man is a trap. We are designed by God to care about what other people think. It is a mark of wisdom to think about how people might respond. So when people go, well, I don't care what anybody thinks, ah, yes you do. We're designed by God to care about what other people think and what they might do. Can you imagine telling your wife, I don't care what you think? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Or go tell your boss, hey, you know, thanks for assigning my paycheck, but I don't care what you think. That's just stupid. We're designed to care about what other people think, but we're not designed to let what other people think and what they might do, we're not designed to let those things rule us. And God fathered David through his calling, through you know, getting you know, triumph over, over strongholds, and he prophetic words that brought correction and adjustment and all that, it produced in him the kind of courage that is actually necessary to walk out the Great Commission, to bring the presence of God out there. Because a lot of people are going to do stuff. They'll think certain things. But because God, uh, David had allowed God to speak to him and he made the adjustments along the way and all that sort of stuff. When it was game time, when, you know, little Miss Church Lady's got, just, I, the voice of Michael can debilitate the strongest Christian. What will people think? What will people think? And David, because he had allowed God to father him, when it came time for real ministry, not just fighting, but actually bringing the presence of God out there, Michael had nothing on him. He said, hey, look, you're just jealous, and I'm not doing it for people. I'm doing it for God. The fear of man, it didn't rule I don't usually do this, especially here, but you, you've been so kind to sit for so long, right? You know, maybe the blood has stopped coursing through your lower extremities. <laughs> Why don't we all stand? And I want to pray for us. You see, when God speaks to us, He's fathering us. Sometimes He he shows us that what we're doing is really part of his plan and then we get encouraged. Or sometimes, you know, he lets us learn certain things so that we can do another thing. But his calling always comes from him. Always. And God loves us so much, he will bring us into places where we hit these obstacles, these strongholds. And he'll give us what we need to throw off those things that easily entangle us or just weigh us down. He'll he'll give us marching orders to say, look, it's time to not let that stronghold define you anymore. God will, just in that way only he can do, he can provide correction and adjustment in a way that will not only make us better, but it will actually impact those that have been entrusted to us. And then when God calls us to, to other things and we're, we're, we're afraid of failure, what people might think, we'll be in a position to go, even if I fail, I'm going to be doing it by following God. This is the heart of a man who allowed himself to be fathered by God. I want to pray that for us. Lord, we're your kids. And if we're your kids, that means you're our father. And it's great to have a father, but it's so much better to be fathered. God, 
right where we're at, wherever we are at, we say, God, would you come father us? We're willing to let you teach us the next thing. Speak to us in private. Speak to us through other people. Lead us and guide us by your spirit so that we can grow more fully into your answers to those two deep questions. God, we ask that you would do it for us. We're asking for you to father us. It doesn't matter who our natural fathers were or were not. If you father us, you can more than make up for it. We choose to let you father us so that we can experience the fullness of your plan for us. Not just for us, but for the people you're going to entrust to us. And actually for the sake of your name, which we carry with you, with us wherever we go. Amen.